Today marks the final day of our teaching series, Searching for God at Christmas Time. And over the last month, we've been walking with Charlie Brown um, as he has searched for meaning and purpose, for the meaning and purpose of Christmas. And I pray that over these last few weeks, you have found new meaning and purpose in your life as we've experienced Christ anew through this series and in our lives. Today, our journey comes to an end with this series, but the story of Jesus continues in our lives each and every day. Just because Christmas winds down and the New Year's begins doesn't mean that the story of Christ ends, because it doesn't. The young couple, Mary and Joseph, are faced with a series of unexpected and unprecedented challenges. Um, But as we all know, that's pretty much what life is like. Life is not easy. Uh, Life is hard. And even though this young family gets off to a rough start, God is still present. God is still present, and God still has a plan. Um, And for Mary and for Joseph, and most definitely for the infant Jesus, and for each one of us in our lives as well. So let's take a moment and be in prayer together. God, as we enter into this time of praise and thanksgiving, we invite you into this place. We invite you into our worship. We invite you into our lives. We rejoice in you, Lord. Be in our words, be in our songs, be in our hearts, Lord. It's in the name of Jesus, your Son, and our Savior that we pray. Amen. This week often feels like um, the great holiday letdown. The, weekly, the weeks leading up to Christmas seem to be filled with a constant here and there of mad dashing to the finish line of Christmas. At least that's what it feels like in my house. And then we wake up one morning and Christmas is over. The wrapping paper is overflowing in the dumpster and you're wondering when the pickup day is because you put the trash can out but the trash man didn't come and you knew the email came that said Granger was coming but then they didn't come and then you went back and read it and said you didn't actually read it right in the first place. And everything seems to edge slightly towards this you know, sense of normalcy again. We set our sights on New Year's Eve parties and New Year's Eve celebrations and the resolutions that we will endeavor to keep over the next two to three weeks. Two weeks. One might think that the whiplash Christmas letdown was similar for Jesus as well. Um, after all, there was, there was a whole lot that went on in, in his experience. Um, or well, for Mary and Joseph's experience, you know, Jesus wasn't actually... Cognizant of a lot of those things, being, you know, in utero still and then actually born on Christmas. But, but you know, there was the trip to Bethlehem and, and, and in such short succession all these things happened. You know, the trip, the census that Mary had to endure while pregnant. Mary and Joseph, they struggled um, searching for a place to stay when they arrived. Jesus was forced to be born in a stable surrounded by livestock. And then to top it all off, they were visited by a group of stinky shepherds. And and after the shepherds claimed to have been visited by an angel, uh, I don't know. I mean, you'd think that that probably life would have slowed down a little bit after all that crazy. But 
that's not the way things turned out for the young family. And what happened next for Mary and Joseph and the infant Jesus reminds me an awful lot of a scene from a different Charlie Brown Christmas show. Um, Not the one that we've been following thus far in the series, but one that came out in 1992, um, which was around after I had been born. And um, that's not a joke. You know, the first one, I I was not around in 1965. But in 1992, Schultz and Mandela's released It's Christmas Time Again, Charlie Brown. And it didn't have the same cultural effect as the first one. Uh, maybe it's because the voices of the children were different, or maybe because the, the graphics were better, um, or maybe it's just the fact that you can't beat a classic. I don't know. Um, but the opening scene of its Christmas time, again, Charlie Brown, looks a lot like the first few years of Mary and Joseph and the infant Jesus' life. And so let's take just a minute to look at that. The house that I grew up in, you know, about 20 miles down the road from here, I grew up on Stony Creek, um, and it was built into uh, the River Valley, um, hill on the River Valley. And the basement door opened up halfway, or still does, it opens up halfway down the hill. And my brothers and I would start sledding from that middle way point down the hill. And at the bottom of the hill, there were some trees, but there was one, um, one tree kind of not in the mowed area that you'd have to kind of bail out before you hit that tree. Um, but we would start halfway down, and when you started halfway down, you know, at the basement door, you, w- you didn't have enough momentum to actually hit that tree. But when we were looking for a little more excitement, we would go to the top of the hill. You see, out of the, um, let's see, that would be the south hill, so north, east, southwest. On the west edge of the house, my parents had built a rock retaining wall to help hold back the hill. And so the hill kept going up to the second floor of the house, and so, so it was kind of like cut into the, into the hill. And so, you could take your sled up to the top of the hill and then sled off the rock retaining wall, get some, depending on how adventurous you were, all the way up to about eight feet, nine feet, if you went off right off the top, if you wanted to die. And, um, or, like we wanted to, right off the main big rock, because you know, all these glacial erratics that were, they built the rock out of, or the wall out of, when they built out the foundation, dug out the foundation, there was a big rock at the bottom. <clears throat> if you hit it just right, you get about three feet of air. And then you keep going. But um, in order to do that, you'd have to get past this hickory tree that was about four feet from that rock. And so it was a little dangerous, but it was the best ever. And so... By doing so, we'd get up to the top, and always Tim had to go first, because I was the youngest, so Tim goes first to blaze the trail. But um, you'd go and get up to the top, and you'd go down, and you'd have to be able to steer, because everyone knows sleds from the 80s steer really well. And you'd have to steer past this hickory tree, go off the rock wall, get the air, but that points you directly at the, hi- the tree at the bottom of the hill. And when you hit the, the hill, you'd be going straight towards that tree with enough momentum to smash into that tree and then bail out right at the bottom before you hit that tree. A lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I take my kids sledding on that hill um, nowadays uh, when we go to Grandma and Grandpa's house. But um, when they want to go up to the top of the hill, I turn into mean old dad because it's much too dangerous for children to um, sled down the top of the hill. No one in their right mind would, would do that. No way. Sorry, Jake. It's too dangerous. For Linus, everything looked good as he looked down from the top of the hill. 
All he had to do was climb into the box and, and ride down the hill. What could possibly go wrong? And, and I could almost hear Linus saying, hey, y'all, watch this. Or, or even my brother saying, Tim, get in the box or get in the barrel, roll down the hill. What could possibly go wrong? It was easy street. And, and the same could be said for, for Jesus and his family. Jesus had arrived into the world, in the world, despite all of the odds against it, despite everything, he had arrived. Everything that had happened, everything seemed to be turning out okay. And to top it all off, the family had been visited by these magi, right? These, these magi, and they, they gave him these gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, all highly prized items. Everything, everything seemed to be going really good, really good for the family until one night Joseph had a dream. And we find it in Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 13. And you can follow along uh, in your pew Bibles. It's on page uh, 1498. Um, we'll be reading from Matthew chapter 2 this morning, starting in verse 13, where we find this account. When they had, when they had gone, they being the, the Magi, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophecy, out of Egypt I have called my son. So right off the bat, right off the bat, the family is, is off to a rough and rocky start. Now I remember when my, my oldest son was born, Jacob, um, I had big plans about how my life was going to turn out. I had dreams of all the great things that would come as Aaron and I started our family together. And I believe that Mary and Joseph were very similar in that, as most parents are. They, they have these dreams and aspirations of what they want to do with their life. They had, they had held the baby Jesus, the infant Jesus, in their arms and, and gazed into his tiny eyes. And they, they must have had dreams of returning home, to return home and, and to raise their child together in their home. They must have talked about all of those things that they were going to do as a family, where they would play, where the baby Jesus, the infant Jesus would have played, where he would have had friends, where he would have learned and where he would have grown up. The stream maybe that he would have played in that Joseph might have played in as a child. Surrounded by friends and family, growing up in a land that they knew. Nowhere in their wildest dreams would fleeing to Egypt have entered into their minds. The prophets in the Old Testament that Mary and Joseph followed said that Jesus was the Prince of Peace. That's what the, the Torah said. That's what the, the Old Testament scriptures said that this coming Messiah would be, the Prince of Peace. And now, as, as the infant, this tiny, innocent child, it was being threatened by, by one of the most ruthless rulers that Judah had ever known. You see, Herod was, was the earthly king. He was the earthly king of the Jews at the time. 
And he was a power-hungry man, power-hungry beyond belief. He, was, he would do anything necessary to keep his power. And, and when I say anything necessary to keep his power to himself, I really mean anything necessary, even massacring children. And all you have to do to realize that is look at his history. And not just biblical history, but to look at ancient Near Eastern history about the man Herod. He ascended to power, to his throne as king of the Jews and king over Judea by assassinating the majority of the Jewish leaders, the Jewish ruling body known as the Sanhedrin. That's how he became the ruler of Judah. And then to maintain his control, to make sure that he was in power and that no one else took power from him, he murdered his wife to prevent any more heirs from coming to power. And to top it all off, he then executed his three sons to make sure they didn't take power from him. This is the man that Herod was. And so when Herod saw a potential threat to his power, he simply eliminated it. He got rid of it. When the Magi told him that a new king had been born, he just said, execute all the kids. There's a threat to my power. We think about it like, how could anyone do that? But in, in this man's history, that's what he always had done. And so the account goes on in verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said in the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. That is a rough start. Mary and Joseph are forced to flee to Egypt. Even though things weren't exactly how Mary and Joseph expected them to be, God was still at work through it all. God knew how Herod was going to respond. God knew how Herod was going to respond, and he sent the Magi back in a different direction in the story when they visited with Jesus. And by doing this, because the, the Magi went back in a different direction, it gave Mary and Joseph enough time and the time that they needed to escape to Egypt. Mary and Joseph may not have been able to see it in the moment. Sometimes we don't see it in the moment. Sometimes hindsight's twenty twenty, but they might not have been able to see it in the moment, but the stress of the moment may have blinded them, but God was working in and through it all. God sent the angel at the precise time to warn them to get out. Get out of Bethlehem. Since God had sent the Magi to Jesus, Mary and Joseph, they now had gold to help them on their journey. And here's the lesson for us today, what we can take from this, and that is that God is always at work. God is always at work. God is, and God always has a plan, even if we can't see it. Even if we can't see it. This week, we prepare for the beginning of a new year, and we need to keep in mind that, that there will be unexpected situations. 
There will be things that happen this new year that, that, that will come before us that, that we don't expect. There will be awkward moments that confront our lives. There will be hard choices that have to be made. There will be consequences and decisions. There will be consequences to decisions that we don't make that will impact our lives. And we must never forget that there is nothing unexpected to God. God knows what is going to take place in this world and is already at work in and through it all. God did not merely tell Mary and Joseph to run to Egypt. God was actively working, actively working in every situation and everything that they could not see. He was working in people and the places that Mary and Joseph would run to as well as in the lives of the people that they came in contact with along the trail. And we may not know precisely what happened to Mary and Joseph when they were in Egypt, because it's not in the text. But the fact that it's not there leads me to believe believe that the things were okay there. Eventually Herod dies, and Joseph has another dream and tells them that it's safe for them to go home. So Mary and Joseph and Jesus go back to Nazareth, Because God is always at work. God always has a plan, even when we can't see it. And God was at work with Mary and Joseph, even if they didn't see it. And God is always at work in us, even when we don't see it. Just as God regularly shows up in unexpected ways, God often uses the insignificant things in our lives to do amazing things. And the same can be seen in our search for God this Christmas season. It is often the little things, the the seemingly insignificant things, that end up having the most significant impact in our lives. If you ask someone in a deeply committed relationship what it is that makes the most significant difference, do they say it's the grand gestures that make the biggest impact or the little things? Most often, it's the little things. And so it is true with our search for God at Christmas time. Understand, the Magi came searching for Jesus because their search of something that they saw, right? The Magi came searching for Jesus because they were searching for, they saw something. What was it that they saw? A star, right? They saw a star. Now, our vision of what they saw in our theatrical movie generation is this bright and glorious star that shone brighter than the sun. But that's not what it would have been like. It would have been a star, one of a thousand in the night sky. The Magi saw a star because they were looking and studying stars. They saw something new, and they had to check it out. When they saw something new, they had to check it out. They had to figure out what it was. They saw this new thing in the night sky. It was one star among billions. Joseph was prompted to flee Bethlehem and then later to return 
to Nazareth because of, because of something. What was it that prompted Joseph to run away and then to come back? What was it? A dream. Everybody has dreams, right? We may not remember them in the morning, but most of us have dreams some of the time. We all have dreams. We've, we've all had dreams that have felt so real that when we wake up in the morning, we don't know if it was real or not. We've all had dreams that we were unsure if they were actually a dream or not. Joseph chose to listen to his dream. Why? Why? Why listen to a dream? Joseph wasn't a fool. He was a smart guy. He was a builder. Why take a dream seriously? Both Joseph and the Magi share a common trait that we can learn a valuable lesson from. They were both in tune with God in their ordinary lives, in their everyday life. We too must be in tune with God in the ordinary events in our lives. The Magi had open minds and hearts to see beyond their academic studies which is very hard for us to do in our culture today. I understand that. But they could see God move in the little things of their everyday lives. They didn't go out of their way to discover a star that led them to Jesus. God was at work in the little nuances of their everyday life. As they went about their work, they were astronomers. They studied the night, st the night sky. And when they discovered a star that was not supposed to be there... They followed it. They were merely receptive and open to God's activity in their lives. Joseph had a leg up on us. In his dream, the angel told him some pretty impressive things. Then he saw the signs in his life. Now, if I were in Joseph's shoes and, and I had a dream and God told me that Mary was going to have a baby from God and after she told me that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit, I might stop to think about it for a while but would you stop to listen? Still, the point remains the same. Joseph was in tune with the ordinary in his life to hear God working through it. To be convinced through a dream, to be in tune with God through the ordinary event, the ordinary events in our lives. That's the key. This week to prepare and to usher in the new year, I encourage you to, to pay attention to the simple and the ordinary everyday things in your life and look for God in them. It's not as simple as, you know, God signs, as I saw God in the flower. That's, that's not what I mean. That's cliche. What I, what I mean is God present in the ordinary in your life. God's providence, that God is present in all things. Because God often shows up in the most surprising ways when we are open and receptive to God. And when we are in tune with God in our lives, sometimes all it takes is tuning in our daily routines through, through dedicating our lives to weekly worship and daily prayer and, and reading our Bible. 
you know, statistics show that every American has at least one Bible in their home, but very few actually open it. God is always working in us, even when we don't see it. Sometimes we fail to see God working just because we have stopped looking for God working in our lives. Too often we ask God to give us some spectacular sign. God, just give me a shooting star, and if you gave me that shooting star, then, then I know the answer is yes. You know, we have that Gideon moment where I just need one sign, and when we have that one sign, okay, now just give me the same sign but in the opposite direction. So the shooting star goes this way, now I need a shooting star to go that way, and then I know for sure it's what you want me to do. But that's not the way that God works. We don't need the shooting star to motivate us to pay attention. What we need to do is to tune our lives to the simple ways that God is already at work in our lives. That's what Joseph did. That's what the Magi did. And it is the simple things that God uses to grow our faith the most. He uses the Bible teachings that we already have. He uses our relationships that we already have and the ones that we develop. He uses our spiritual practices that we develop over time. He uses our involvement in ministries and the circumstances of our life, good, bad, and indifferent, all of which lead to growth in our faith. And the question we're we're faced with today is, are we willing Are we willing to slow down and look for God in these simple things and learn how to use them to grow each day? See, Mary and Joseph had a rough start when Jesus came into the world. They were persecuted and they were forced to flee from their home. And yet, they still listened to God. They still listened And they put their trust in what he said to them. Even though it meant that they had to flee to Egypt. Even though it meant doing something that seemed unfathomable. Following God's leading in life takes a leap of faith. But God is always at work. And God always has a plan even when we can't see it. Even if we can't see it. Let's pray together. God, as we prepare our lives for this new year, open our hearts and minds and eyes to see you each day in the ordinary events of our lives. We know that you are at work in all things and we trust in your plan, even when we don't understand. We put our trust in you and boldly step forward with you into this new year. It is in the name of Jesus, our Savior, that we pray. Amen.